take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read the first 13 verses. If you'd follow along, I'll read beginning Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, And without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our passage of study this week contains what probably is one of the top ten references. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are we saved through faith. That not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But sometimes we, we overlook what surrounds that wonderful, wonderful truth. And, and what surrounds it is, again, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is reminding us what we were saved from. So, this morning, I want us to look at a portrait of ourself before we came to Christ. This is what, this is what we were. I've, I've um, preached at a missions conference and given a portrait of the lost. That as believers, we ought to see the lost and, and what they really are like. And many of these characteristics that we'll mention here this morning were in that. But before we ever see a portrait of the lost, meaning others, those in the world, 
we really need to get a proper view of what we are apart from Christ. And, and it should have a profound impact on our life. But Paul jumps right into it. And he said, and you, God has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. We were dead. Paul sums up the condition of a lost man in one word, dead. That means to be lifeless. It means to be unable to help oneself. It is absolutely powerless. To be dead is to beyond hope. And, and this is what every one of us, apart from Christ and before Christ, we were spiritually dead. I mean, you, you think of 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 that, um, unable to help oneself. You know, we hear the phrase, pull oneself up by his own bootstraps. Well, we had no power to do anything to pull ourselves up in any way, form, or fashion. And, and he begins by saying, you were dead, we were dead. Apart from Christ, I am dead. And then he goes on and he says, In which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Not only were we dead, but we were under Satan's influence. You know, I mentioned John Leonard's working with a guy that's that's into demon worship, and we think, whoa, man, that's that's pretty serious stuff. Before we came to Christ, we were under Satan's influence. We were in his realm totally. You know, in in First Samuel fifteen. And verse 23, it says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, he, he's illustrating this by saying, when you are under God's authority, if you picture an umbrella, when you are under God's authority, you have the protection of God. You are under the umbrella of His protection. When you rebel, picture here is a big umbrella, when you rebel against God, you remove yourself from being under God, and now you have no protection. So what are you open to? You are under Satan's realm. We are completely open. We are controlled by him. And... and Many people would say, well, I'm not controlled by Satan. I'm doing what I want. It's just two in one right there. He doesn't have to physically take control like we're demon-possessed. He's having his will in us by us following our own desires. And, and we fail to realize this. We, 
apart from Christ, we're completely under the influence of Satan. And I've already mentioned, thirdly, we were controlled by the desires of our flesh. Notice verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. We were, we were enslaved, controlled by the desires of the flesh. We were in bondage. And, and the desires of the flesh have many ways of manifesting themselves. One desire of the flesh is I want to look good to others. So that may keep me from doing some other desire of the flesh. I don't want to look bad, so I'm not going to do that. But bottom line, we we only had one master, and it was Satan, and he works through the desires of our flesh. There's only two, two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. And we couldn't please God. We're dead. And and we were our desires just took us wherever. You might say, I, I was pretty self disciplined. It was your desires that even made you self disciplined. And and we were slaves of sin. And because we were slaves of sin, he concluded verse 3 by saying, and were by nature children of wrath. Because of this, under Satan's influence, controlled by the desire of the flesh, we were deserving wrath. The Hebrew expression means that they were characterized by being under God's holy wrath against sin. See, God is holy and He despises sin. If we line up with sin, which we do by nature, we're sinners, the wrath of God is upon us. So God's holy and His settled hatred against all sin will result in the wrath of God being upon mankind. You read in Revelation chapter 20, if people do not repent of their sin and turn from it to God, they will be cast forever in the lake of fire. Turn to John chapter 3. You're familiar with the story of Nicodemus. John chapter 3. You're familiar with verse 16. But notice if you look in verse 36, the last verse of John 3. He who believes in the Son, Jesus Christ, has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life. Notice this. But the wrath of God abides on him. People like to say that, well... God's wrath, that's an Old Testament doctrine. Um, New Testament, it's all love. You can't separate God's attributes to certain time periods and certain aspects of the Bible. God is always love. He is always just. He hates sin. 
And Paul is reminding these believers, you, you, were, you were willfully under the control of Satan, as in witchcraft, because you rebelled against God, you were under the control of Satan, controlled by your own selfish lust, and were deserving of wrath. The wrath of God abides on him. But notice, if you'd go back to Ephesians chapter 2, kind of, kind of like a sandwich around verses 8, 9, and 10, we find the first part of the chapter and the last part. You notice in verse 12, he's giving some more characteristics before we came to Christ. Verse 12 that at that time you were without Christ. Now, I, I know there are many here today that have probably been saved for years and years and years. And, and many of you grew up in a Christian home and, and have had the influence of it. And... And you can hardly imagine that you were ever without Christ. But before you came to trust Christ, you were without Christ. And, and we fail to realize that means no forgiveness. That means no way to the Father. That means no love. That means no hope. I mean, you take Christ out of the picture and and we have nothing. And and he's saying, your natural state, this is what we are. And it is without Christ. And he goes on and he says, being strangers, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. We were strangers from God's promises. Meaning, we were, we were foreigners to it. We, we had no clue about the promises of God. Being, being a foreigner, if you've, if you've ever, many of you have, you've been in situations where you're in a country or in a situation that you don't understand the language they're speaking. And, and so they may say something really complimentary to you and you just stand there with a dumb look, you know. Or what really makes you nervous is when they kind of glance at you and then they look at somebody else that speaks their language and they say something and they all go, ha, 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 and you think, what did they just say? We have no clue, no clue. Apart from Christ, we have no clue to the glorious promises of God. The promises we've just sung about this morning. No clue. Uh, completely clueless. We, we are strangers to it. It's, it's a different language. We, we didn't understand it at all. God's promises do not apply 
to us in that state. You know, everyone loves, everyone loves Psalm 23. And it's probably the most used psalm at funerals. Would you say, Dave? Psalm 23. Everybody says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's not true. If, if you reject Christ, you are a foreigner to the promises of God. But if you trust Christ, then it is you are brought in. You understand the language of God, so to speak. You understand, and as you live the Christian life, your eyes start being opened more and more to the truths of God's Word. And you are able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But before that, strangers. It, 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 it's just words that might make a person feel better, but it doesn't, really, it doesn't really resonate because we're dead. We're without Christ. We're strangers from God's promises. And then he said in verse 12, and having no hope. I mean... When a person gets to the point of believing there is no hope, that is a low, low place to be. And apart from Christ, there is no hope. Absolutely none. And that is, that's the dangers of all these false religions that deny Christ or add to Christ. There is no hope. Zero. None. No future. Nothing to look forward to. A hopeless condition. There is no hope. And and it's like Paul wants to make sure that we get this. Some of these things are, are redundant. He said, you're without Christ. But notice what he said having no hope and without God. Christ is the way to the Father. Christ is forgiveness. Christ manifests God's love to us and gives us hope. But God is the Creator. God is the one who holds everything together. With no God. Do you understand God is the one that defines morals. God is the one. With no God, there are no morals, there are no law, there is no order, there is no purpose, there is no sense. And many of you have said in, within the last year, none of this makes sense. I mean, these decisions people are making, it doesn't make any sense. They're without God. They have no sense. They have no purpose. They, they, they have no morals. They have no law. I mean, it is a bad, bad place to be without God. And history is a living example of this. Every nation that has said no God has has literally ended on the ash heap of history. The fool has said in his heart, no God. And Paul is saying, 
before you came to Christ, you, you were without Christ and without God. And let me mention one more from this passage. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were far off. We, we could not see. We could not comprehend. We didn't even know what was in the distance. We were far off from God. We were completely separated from God. You know, I, I, I've been to a number of sporting events that I buy cheap tickets, and I'm far off. I mean, you need binoculars to... I remember taking Maryland's parents years ago to a Kansas City Royals game, and we got these... I'm, I was afraid he was going to, my father-in-law was going to have a heart attack. We had to go up so high. We were one row from the top. They couldn't even... We looked down on high fly balls. They couldn't even hit a ball that high. I mean, far off. But we were in the stadium. Without Christ, we are far off. We're not even in the stadium. We're not even in the realm at all. And, and so he paints this picture. Let me, let me just quickly mention, there are other biblical terms describing me before coming to Christ. Blind, in darkness, deceived, condemned, helpless, lost. I don't know if you've ever genuinely been lost. But that is a bad, bad feeling to have. When, when you don't know where you are or, or how to get where you want to be. And he also calls us sheep, meaning we are vulnerable, defenseless, ignorant followers. Now, all of these things are, are what describes the human condition. And, and, you know, we don't even realize the, the depths of this condition. But in the midst of all of this, Paul's describing this, in the midst of this, he says in verse 4, This is what you were. This is what you, you were without Christ. You were deserving of wrath, controlled by Satan and the desires of your flesh. You were dead. But verse 4, but God. Amen. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love with which He loved us, even when I was dead in the trespasses and sin, showered His mercy upon me, and for by grace I am saved through Christ. It is, it is like this darkness and this laser beam of light, but God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, and, and the hope and, and the, the renewal and the... the it, it isn't a revival. It was, it was bringing life. It, it was resurrection from the dead. We are born again. And He tells us, but God 
who is rich in mercy, loved me. Verse 4. And he saved me by grace through faith. And again, we don't have the time to go into it. We're familiar with salvation is only by grace through faith in Christ alone. Not of any works that we do. And he did this to show the greatness of his grace and kindness. Verse 7. Why did God do this? Why did God create us? Why did God, in this mess that we're in, in rebellion, double-fisted rebellion against God, He breaks into that, into our lives, and He showers His grace and mercy upon us that we can be saved and forgiven. Someone has said, if a plastic surgeon called you and offered you free cosmetic surgery so that he could use you for advertising, you would be grateful for it, but there's no way you could be proud of it. He did not choose you because you were attractive. He chose you because you're ugly. And this is a prime opportunity to show the work that I can do. We have no grounds to be proud that we are in Christ. Christ chose us because we are ugly. I don't mean physically. I mean we are repulsively rebellious and putrefying before a holy God. But He did it. Our, our sordid past, He did it to show His grace. You may be here today and you might be saying, you know, I don't have a sordid past. Perhaps you've never been drunk. Perhaps you've never used illegal drugs. Perhaps you've never had multiple sex partners. You've lived an outwardly moral life. You may not have to come to Christ because you saw that you were a wretch who needed saving. But you came to Christ because... You desired to go to heaven. If that is the case, the awareness of the wretchedness of your heart will be revealed to you as a child of God. It is only God's grace that you haven't experienced the dredges of sin. But if in His grace you have not experienced some of these things, As you grow in Christ, you will come to see, oh, wretched man that I am. And the more we see the wretchedness of our heart, the better we will be. Let me just quickly list three responses to this truth. Some say, oh, we're, you know, we live in a world that, oh, self-worth and build people up and tell them how good they are. You don't tell... No, you don't need a doctor till you know how sick you are. And and Paul is reminding them, my response to this truth as a believer should be number one, an overwhelming thanksgiving and praise for God's grace. In in this passage, four different times in verse two, in verse three, in verse eleven, and verse thirteen. He is saying, you were once 
a child of disobedience. You were once this. In, in Corinthians, he listed a list of sins and he said, And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are purified, but you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to come back and realize, my, my goodness, how bad I was. And that God still saved me? Why? If He did nothing else, we should be saying, Thank you, God. Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled. That's me. By His power I've been pardoned, saved to the... Woo! Praise the Lord! We, we walk around like we still have chains on. We walk around like, well, God's wrath going to whack me. No, I've been pardoned. I mean, we lose sight of this. We should have overwhelming thanksgiving and praise for God's grace unceasingly. Secondly, we should have joyful obedience to God. I mean, wow, He did this. Whatever you want, I'm willing to do. Instead, after all He's done for us, well, why do I have to do that? I don't understand. I'm free to live my life the way I want. No, that puts you back in the bondage that you, He saved you from. Our response to this, after all He's done for me, how can I do less than give Him my best after all He's done for me? It ought to be joyful obedience. You know, we've all been there as a kid. We've seen our kids... You ask them to do something and they stomp off and got the frown on their face, you know, and, and sloppily doing it. They did it, but it wasn't joyful obedience. And so it wasn't obedience, really. But as Christians, it shouldn't be hard for us to obey. Wow, I mean, you delivered me. I had no hope. And then thirdly, We should understand and have compassion and a burden for the lost. Do you understand? They're, they're still without Christ. They have no hope. They, they have no idea where to look. They're dead. They can't do any. They're, they're all of these characteristics. They're still afar off. And, and rather than saying, boy, how stupid they are. And look, what do you expect? We were the same way, except the grace of God. And God used me as an instrument to get grace to them. I'd love to see life come. See, we like spring because things come back to life. God, rather than me looking with disdain at these people... Use me as an instrument, as we mentioned last week, a hose of God's power to put the water, the grace of God, to see it come to life and to see their lives transformed. See, some may look at this as a rather negative and depressing message. If you've done that, you've, you've missed the point. 
It magnifies the grace of God when it shows the depths that we were at that He rescued us. And He wants us to remember our former condition so that we will appreciate what He does and to go on and proclaim it. But God, who is rich in mercy, that's what He wants us to proclaim by our lives. And so, it ought to, we ought to every day be reminded what God has saved me from. From a hopeless, dead, controlled by Satan and my own desires, without God and completely afar off. You can't even see it. But now I am made nigh by the blood of Jesus. And we ought to continually be praising Him for the blood of Jesus Christ, the gift of God that we did nothing to deserve. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would help every one of us to personalize and see our condition apart from You. And Lord, I pray that You would use the power of Your Word at work in our lives to help us to see the greatness of the work that You have done in us and to be filled with everlasting praise to You. To be manifesting our love to You by joyful obedience and then, Lord, to be the vessels that truly have compassion on the lost, that have an understanding, a burden, and that we would be vessels used of You to rescue the perishing. Lord, would You truly, through the power of Your Spirit, accomplish Your purposes through this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.